Hi there. It's good to be with you from Little Chapel again. And you, you know, um, with Colorado's new stay in place order, I had an interesting day yesterday. And, uh, and it's a testimony of the body of Christ. Um, I spent the day trying to set up a studio in my home. I had a one-man crew, my son. He was lighting, camera, uh, everything. <laughs> and I just want to say that uh, when, they re when they reissued the order where we could come back here with a minimal crew to make this happen, I was extraordinarily thankful. And I was reminded how the Lord has set up his church. It's good to have the body of Christ. Um, so it's good to be back here. I'm excited to be with you. We have a good word. Um, you know, I want to start with a scripture before we actually jump into the message. I just want to do a quick reminder. You know, when Jesus was, um, was asked um, what the greatest commandment in the law is, you know, they meant it as a trick. And um, much to their surprise, he actually had the answer. And he said two things, right? You all know this. He said, um, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That was the first thing. Of course, we, you'd have no love if you didn't have that. Uh, the, but the second thing he said was, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And what we often forget is that in that equation, you have to have love for yourself, to love your neighbor as yourself. So why am I saying this? You know, with these orders, with authorities that are putting out orders to try and keep people safe, and the word of God tells us to respect those authorities, you know, it's just a reminder to us that first, you've got to love yourself well. And following, following um, the help that's being asked of us uh, is loving yourself well. And then... You know, following the orders is also loving others well. It's, it's protecting people. It's loving the community well. So I just want to start by thanking you for continuing to meet with us this way during this time. It is the loving thing to do, and, and it's good to be here. It's good, it's good to meet this way. Thank God for the technology. Um, before I get going, really, let's just stop and pray. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you uh, that whatever's going on in the world, you have good plans for us, that we have a security in you. We're absolutely secure in you. And um, we want to lift to you our leaders that are making hard decisions, that are having hard meetings with scientists. And we ask that you would pour out your wisdom on them that you would uh, bless our communities through the leaders. We ask a blessing on essential workers throughout our community that are putting themselves at risk to keep things going for life, our healthcare workers and grocery workers and police and everyone who is continuing to have to work even during the stay-in-place order. And Lord, I want to pray a blessing on the homes of every listener and every viewer and uh, we just ask for a protection. I ask that you would grant parents and families wisdom during this time to be safe. And we trust you for all of this, Lord. And we ask your blessing on this time that your ability would be in, in, uh, in our time together right now. Your transforming ability in hearts. And we thank you for all of this and the authority of your name, Jesus, we pray. Um, 
So I'm just going to, I'm going to jump right in. We have a good word. You know, I, I am going to talk about things that are relevant to what's going on in our lives. It would be crazy not to. But, um, you know, during this crisis, one thing that occurs to me, or, or actually that I've been experiencing as I walk with Jesus, is it seems like it's, it's in crisis. It's when life begins to throw curveballs at us that we especially uh, begin to focus on Jesus. Not that it should be that way, but often it is that way, right? Crisis has a way of doing that. And, um, you know, uh, what has really struck me this week is that as we walk more closely and as we lean into that intimacy, it becomes really obvious that, that the more I lean into intimacy, the more he disturbs the way that I think. Um, you know, the, the more closely I, I walk, the, um, the more he meddles with and begins to completely strip things that I hold dear. I, I really hope you're relating with me right now. Um, and, and why is that? Let me just say, I believe that's, that there's a very um, good and, and expected answer to why, um, why we are disturbed by by walking closely with Jesus. And, and uh, this is a message of love, but, but look, this is why. We have world thinking. Jesus is fiercely committed to giving kingdom thinking to his disciples. Now, you know that being a son of God necessarily means that you're a disciple of Jesus. In fact, that's what makes you, that's what brings us to the place where we're sons of God. So, um, you know, one of the things that we're, we're just going to focus on today in our time together is we're going to look at Jesus relating in times of intimacy or how they relate to Jesus. In other words, with Jesus as the rabbi, with Jesus as the master and them as the disciples, so the position you're in, how does he love what does that look like? And what does that look like for, um, for, for a, a master that is, is um, dedicated to transforming your mind, transforming your heart into a kingdom mind, a kingdom heart, instead of um, world thinking? Um, so... So I'm just, you know, really, I'm just going to jump in here. And um, if you will go with me to Second uh, Timothy uh, chapter 1 and verse 3, before we get into those encounters where we're going to look specifically at Jesus relating with the disciples, um, we're just going to grab one scripture and I think um, one passage here, and I think we're going to see something that probably is a little different than we've seen it before. So that's Second Timothy chapter 1 and, and starting in uh, verse 3. It reads like this. It says, I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. So the only thing to gather at this point is, is he's writing with a love in his heart for his fellow disciples in Christ. And he says, he moves on in verse 4, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. Now, why is he saying being mindful of your tears? And this is important. This particular book is written 
to a community in a time, in a period when they were suffering. The church was being persecuted. Um, and there, it's, you know, it's a letter of encouragement and a letter of exhortation for how do you navigate crisis times or hard times. So that is the context of this letter. He goes on, verse 5, When I call to remembrance the, general, uh, the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. So you see, he, he, he knows these people. And he moves on and says, and, I'm, and I am persuaded is in you. That same love, okay? Now, now here's really why we're reading this. Starting verse 6 says, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, just for a moment, what's he talking about? What is the gift that is in us through the laying on of hands? That gift is the Holy Spirit. And it's important before we move on to recognize that he's talking about stir up the Spirit of God that is in us. Now, verse 7 is, is really, is kind of a famous verse. I think you'll recognize it. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, I know that most of you are probably very familiar with that. But here's what I want to show you. This, the way that the language is in this verse is kind of a parallel setup. In other words, the verse begins and says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Thank God. We are not given a spirit of fear. Okay? The second part reads, But of power and of love and of sound mind. So in other words, it's accurate to interpret or read it this way. We don't have a spirit of fear. We have a different spirit. And that is a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of sound mind. Okay, great contrast. Where I want to focus and where great insight is going to go into these interactions we're going to see with Jesus and his disciples is on the sound mind part. Isn't that strange words? Now listen, sound mind comes from a word so sophronismos or sophronismos, okay, which means discipline directly, but that comes from a root word that means more directly to make a sound mind or, or even figurative, figuratively to say to discipline or correct. In other words, what's that saying? So, so let's back up just a bit. In other words, um, he has not given us a spirit of fear, but what? He's given us a spirit that corrects or, or disciplines our mind to correct thinking. That verse reads, we, we have a spirit that has the power. We have a spirit that loves and a spirit, as we're going to see in Jesus, that fiercely wants to correct our mind. Correct our mind to what? To kingdom thinking, right? We have, we are, we are desperately um, in a place, in a, let me say, in a state where we have world thinking. But Jesus and the spirit, the gift that God gives us because of Jesus's work is to correct our mind to kingdom thinking. And that is the basis of discipleship. Disciples who, who, who look to a master to, to gain the mind. What does the word of God say? 
to gain the mind of Christ. So um, I'm going to move, keep moving here. And, and, you know, as I do, just, just remember, you know, Jesus promised things like he was going to send the Spirit. He said, it's good that I go so that you get this spirit. And the spirit is going to remind you of all the things I've taught you or all the things I've commanded. You see, everything is geared toward, he's so crazy in love with you that, that everything that he does as one who disciples you and has that intimacy with you is to give you the keys to the kingdom, right? And I, I even think we're going to look at that verse um, before we're done here. Um, you do realize um, as sons of God, you are automatically disciples of Jesus. So as we look at, I'm just going to say again, as we look at Jesus with his disciples, we are getting an accurate picture of how he is with disciples. I hope that makes sense. In other words, how he is with you. And if we can get a handle on how he is with us, we can be more sensitive to the spirit and pick up on when he is actually discipling us. He is passionately committed to bringing us to kingdom thinking, to his mind. So um, we are going to jump in to, to one of those interactions he has with the disciples. Go with me to Matthew chapter 16 and we'll start in verse 5. And at first here we're just setting up context. And I want to show you um, here, this is, you're going to be familiar with this. This is where he begins to warn them about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, let's read and let's see, let's remind ourselves, what is he warning them about exactly? In verse 5, it says, Now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. And Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It's because we've taken no bread. So we're going to do this part quickly, but look here with me. What is really going on there? What's going on there is that the disciples are hearing Jesus is trying to train them to teach them <laughs> into kingdom thinking. And they are so into, into a mode, into a mindset of the concerns, the worries of this world that they forgot bread, that they're stuck in that world thinking. So in verse 8, Jesus it goes on and says, but Jesus being aware of it, said to them, what's he aware of? He's aware of the way that they're thinking. He says, oh, you of little faith, why do you reason? Why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves and the 5,000? Okay, and he goes on and what he does is bring to their remembrance how, how he fed crowds and how the Father is their provider. So, so what's he doing? Actually, let me read verse 12. Verse 12 says, Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, of actual bread, right? But of the doctrine of Pharisees and Sadducees. So what's going on here? We're going to see a developing pattern that I believe is life-changing and can bring us in tune to how he loves us, how he disciples us. This is the first time we're going to see this pattern. Okay, here, what's he doing? He's offering a kingdom perspective. And what is that? Your father is provider. Do you see that? Your father takes the good gifts that he's already given you and he multiplies it 
into more than enough, your father's provider. That's a kingdom perspective. That is not how this world thinks. And he is always discipling towards come to the kingdom perspective. I'm going to continue in this passage, but I'm going to be kind of skipping through. Okay, skip down with me. Well, let me just give you this context before I move too far forward. What happens next is... um, is the kind of well-known conversation between Peter and Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you know, Peter, who do they say that I am? And, and they, go, they go through this back and forth. And then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says to Jesus, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and he begins to, um, to, uh, to love on Peter and say, you see this because it's been granted to you. But the most critical words, this leads to verse 19, where Jesus says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So I want you to see, before we move into some of the main stories we're going to look at, I want you to see um, what leads to Jesus saying, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. And it is it is specifically and important to notice that what leads to Jesus saying that is Peter having an awareness and stating the identity of Jesus, knowing who Jesus is. Now think with me for a minute. When Jesus says, I I give you the keys to the kingdom because you know who I am, um, I want you to think about keys. You know, it's like um, keys are... Um, or not just, you know, you never get excited if someone gave you a key and you didn't know what it, what it went to. That would not create very much excitement. But for like um, a 16-year-old and dad gives you the keys to the car, there's an excitement there. Why? Because the key gives you access to everything the car is. It gives you the benefits and the gifts of the car. We won't even talk about why that 16-year-old wants the keys to the car today. But the keys are access. If someone's watching your home and you give them the keys, it's not the key itself. You've gotten the keys to the to the home gives you the access, everything that the home offers. So here what it is is Jesus is saying, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven to Peter because you know who I am, because you declare who I am, and you're in touch with that, you get the keys to the kingdom. Now, it's, uh, it's in this context that I just want to slow down for just a minute. I want to talk about the season that we're in. Um, we are um, two weeks from, from Resurrection Sunday. And, um, and so... You know, we are beginning to prepare our hearts. We're in Lent. um, Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. But here's what I'm getting at. In real time, as Jesus was walking with his disciples, this was particularly a time where uh, he, he began to change in ways what he was teaching them about, how he was relating to them. Why? He knew that he was about to go to the cross. He knew that the time was coming where they were drawing close to a different phase of their ministry. Now, imagine with me. Um, these guys, these were fishermen. These were tax collectors. He called them out. 
He said, he said, come follow me like he does with you. They, they changed, they transformed their life completely. They followed him and they've been involved in this powerful ministry where crowds seek them. They've been healing people. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a phase of ministry that they have been sharing with him. Now, all of a sudden, he begins, and we're going to read some of it, but he begins talking about um, things that they don't like hearing. He begins shifting and teaching them about other things. So um, I'm going to start reading there, and we, we are still in Matthew 16. Just continue in the narrative starting at uh, verse 21. And, and it begins to say, it, it begins to read like this. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter, say so here's Peter. <laughs> Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. He began to rebuke Jesus saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. And then in verse 23, Jesus responds and says, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now, did you catch it? What is Jesus concerned with? He's concerned with what he's mindful of, with the, with the mode of his thinking, right? He's he is, Jesus is fiercely dedicated to his disciples and that he is going to bring our minds to kingdom thinking. Is it horrible that Peter's thinking this way? I don't think so. I think, um, you know, what's Peter saying? He's saying, um, this is not uh, my idea of what the blessing would look like of being on, being on your team. I thought this would look different. Um, we were just beginning to enjoy the good stuff, Lord. What do you mean you're going to go off and die? And, um, but, but see, Jesus has kingdom thinking. Now, if you're, if you're kind of wading through and tracking with me, I promise that, that we, this is about to get deeper and deeper and deeper with each interaction and the clarity of how Jesus loves disciples is going to come through and it's a blessing. So just read on with me. We're going to, we're continuing in the narrative to Matthew chapter 17. Um, just starting, we'll just start right in, um, we'll start right in verse 1. Actually, it says, Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. What is that? It, it tells us. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then, here's Peter, then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. You, ha you have to love his attitude. You know, I don't, <laughs> I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I think Peter, I, I'd, I think I'd be saying that. It is so good that I am here, <laughs> a part of this amazing thing you're doing, Lord. Why not? And he goes on and he says, if you wish, let us make here three tabernacles or booths, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Now, track with me here for a minute. Peter is suggesting um, making shrines, basically. Booths. One for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. 
He's so far off of kingdom thinking in this moment that it's, um, it's almost incredible. Um, Jesus must be thinking, you want to make a booth for me? You want me to hang out in a booth? Or he must, he must be thinking, um, you want to make a couple of people famous? The work that Jesus is about to accomplish in, in just um, less than two weeks from this moment is, is, um, is sending the Holy Spirit out of the Holy of Holies to be poured out on all flesh that none would be famous. Jesus is the only one that's famous, okay? But that we would all have the Spirit on us. So Peter's thinking is not tracking with where Jesus is going. And this is timely to be reading this in this season. The reason Jesus is up on the mountain in this transfiguration experience with his closest disciples is, is because he is about to enter Jerusalem at this point in the narrative. He's about to to have the triumphal entry. He's about to begin um, to going through the process of heading to the cross. So now read on with me. And this is where really track with me now. In verse 5, it says, While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the clouds saying, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. Okay, so look, now, here comes the voice of the Father. Comes in, and what does he say? Hear him. Now, the words, the original words here, the, the idea that's being communicated here in hear him is, is really like uh, listen or obey. Get on the same page with what he says. Hear him in, a, in an obey kind of way. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. Now listen, they were greatly afraid by that thundering voice. But in verse 7 it says, But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. Now track with me. What was it that begins to alleviate their fear? Well, Jesus, right? But it's the touch. It literally says, he came and touched them and said, do not be afraid. I want you to notice that from Jesus, there is no harsh judgment here. His concern is that they're not afraid. His concern, his yoke is easy. There's no judgment over their enthusiasm. That had to be an enthusiasm-inspiring moment. Hopefully you're putting yourself in their shoes. These divine things are happening, and no doubt... Peter began to run his mouth probably in exactly the same way I would. And it kind of strikes me as appropriate. It's just not the kingdom thinking that Jesus wants to bring them to. But here, it's important to notice that, that um, who Jesus is to his, to his disciples is, is one who brings comfort. He doesn't want them, you know, perfect love does not have fear. Perfect love casts that out. There is no punishment in perfect love. Jesus is perfect love. Okay, now we're going to the gold. So I want you to, um, we're going to move a little bit. We're going to go uh, into Luke chapter 9 and start in verse 51. Um, this is one of my favorite stories ever because, um, well, because it's one of the times that I relate 
with the disciples because they're so much like I am. They battle the world thinking just like I do. And they receive the intimacy of Jesus that wants to steer their thinking um, to the mind of Christ, to his mind, to kingdom thinking. And so I love this story. Um, And so starting in verse 51, it begins and says, Now it came to pass... When the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. So just notice, this is that season that we're in. Jesus has set his face for Jerusalem. This is just before um, the triumphal entry that we'll be talking about next week. In um, verse 52, as we move on, it says, And he sent messengers before his face, and as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. So to prepare for Jesus's entry or coming in. Verse 53, but they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. Did you catch that the word of God actually tells us why they didn't receive him? It's because he's not there to minister. He's not doing the things to be received. He's got his face set. He knows where he's going. But now look what the disciples do. And track, it's because of where their thinking is. The disciples go and say, uh, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? <laughs> You've got to love these guys. Think about what they're suggesting. They're su- that's basically, Lord, since they're not receiving you very well, you want us to firebind, firebomb the town and kill everybody? You have to love that. Their thinking is so far from what Jesus must be thinking at this moment that a good master who loves disciples would need to step in and do something. Now, you would expect that Jesus is about to be really harsh with them, wouldn't you? (laughs) I mean, they just suggested firebombing a whole region and killing a bunch of people. And you know they have to be proud of this. They didn't make this suggestion to Jesus because they didn't think it was a good one. Are you tracking with me? They're making this suggestion because they're thinking, Lord, they're probably thinking, Lord, we finally get it. You've finally brought us to a place as your disciples that we understand you have unlimited power. And if our faith is in you, if our faith is in the Father, we can accomplish whatever for the good of the kingdom. And so therefore, let's let's bomb this whole town with fire from heaven. They're proud of themselves. They're bringing their great idea to Jesus. And you would expect Jesus to bring harsh rebuke. But, but look what it says. It, it uses the word rebuke, but look how he does this. And this is where, boy, if you can focus in now. This is how Jesus loves disciples. In verse 55, it says, but he turned and rebuked them. Okay, and here's how he does it. He says, you do not know what manner of, of spirit you're of. Now listen, there's only there's only two spirits. There's no neutral. Okay? There is the spirit of the enemy, which is the spirit of fear. We began talking about this. And then there is there is the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, and that is the spirit of what? Of power, of love, and of sound mind. Now remember, that sound mind is when you get to the root words, literally means to correct your mind to kingdom thinking. That's spirit. So he's saying you don't know what spirit you are 
speaking of? What manner of spirit you're of? What's this thing? Their mind is stuck in the world. They're stuck in the spirit of this world. They are operating from fear. In other words, Jesus, what does he do? Literally, he brings their attention to the source of their thinking. That's his rebuke. Be aware of the source or the motivation of your thinking. You would only suggest that and think that I would like the idea if you were operating out of a spirit of fear, which is basically what he's telling them they're operating out of. Are you catching it? Now, what he, what he says next is even more golden. Um, in verse 56, he says, For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Now, listen, what did he do? It's so important to catch this. He merely offered them the kingdom perspective. He never said, man, I, I can't believe, I can't believe how, how dumb you guys are. I can't, believe, I can't believe you would think that way. He doesn't start berating them. What does he do? He says, you don't know what spirit you're speaking of. Let me correct that. Let me give you the mind of the kingdom. The mind of the kingdom is that I am here to save, not to destroy. He merely offers the perspective, the transformation that they need to think according to the kingdom. You see, what's the conflict here? Um, there, there is, we all deal with a, a consistent and continuous um, conflict between our normal mode of thinking and where being a disciple of Jesus, so where Jesus is taking us to. The transition from world thinking to kingdom thinking, which we're doing every day when we're in intimacy with Jesus, is a messy process. It's a painful process. You know it had to be painful, in a way, for them to, to have Jesus respond this way. To have Jesus relate to them this way, it couldn't have been all that comfortable. Are you tracking with me? They came, they, I'm sure they were enthusiastic about their idea. <laughs> and here comes Jesus. When it moves from fear and control to a mindset of love and, subs, and um, submission, that is the Spirit of God speaking to us. Now, it's not a coincidence uh, that the narrative continues. I'm, I'm literally continuing right in order in verse 57. And I'm just going to read for a moment here because I want you to see that he, Jesus just next begins to solidify and affirm the things that I'm, I was just telling you about that interaction. So verse 57. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Here's great enthusiasm to follow Jesus. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. This time he's saying to the person, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. 
And another also said, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. You see, they all have worldly concerns that they want to attend to first. And then in verse 62, Jesus says to them, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Now listen to me. I don't think this scripture, I don't think Jesus' idea here is to say you, you have, there's some worthiness that you don't get from me um, that you can get on your own, in other words, that makes you worthy of the kingdom. It's not, it's not that they're not worthy to go. What is it? It's that in order to, to go with Jesus, you actually have to go where he's going. In other words, you actually have to be thinking from the perspective that he has. That's love to a disciple, to be fiercely committed to transitioning our minds to where he's going. Can I give this to you? Thank you, God. Do you know um, that faith really only powerfully operates where we're certain he is good? I hope that makes sense to you. You know, faith functions where, where we say, um, where we say, Lord, I know I'm secure because my security's in you. Faith operates where um, I don't need any more, any more things, any more stuff to be fitted for the kingdom of God because you supply everything I need. Faith powerfully operates where we're certain that he's good. So, Go with me. I believe that this is, well, we'll see. I believe that this is probably the last interaction we're going to have. And this is going to begin to bring what, what, I, what is on my heart to share. It's going to bring it into um, the reality of what we're dealing with in our world right now. In this crisis, all these changes, the upset to our routine. This is going to begin to bring it home. And I, I just, I hope you're tracking with me. Now I'm going to mark uh, chapter 9 and verse 33. And here it says, Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? Now listen, in other words, he's aware that the disciples have been disputing on the road. And just notice with me, I, I have to do this, I can't help myself. Do you notice that Jesus is the only one who can continuously pick on people who are not thinking right and they still want to follow it. <laughs> are, you, are you tracking? I hope you have some of that experience. And it's because, why is that? It's because we know that it is, is fiercely dedicated love to us. So he says, um, what is it you disputed among yourselves on the road? Verse 34, but they kept silent for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. Now you know what that, just please put yourself in the real setting. They kept silent. Why did they do that? That's like when you know you did something wrong and someone's like, some, you're being confronted about it. And what do you do? You're like, <laughs> you know, they have nothing to say. They're hoping someone else speaks up first. You know, the group of kids that's like, who's the one that's going to speak up? That's what's going on here. And he sat down. It's so important to catch those words. He sat down. They were arguing about who's the greatest. They, they have a sense. They know that that was not the thing to be arguing about. And the next words say he sat down. What's that telling us? That's telling us 
He's going to take his time here. He's very relational and he's fiercely committed in love to transforming them to his way of thinking. Why? Because that's how they're going to be blessed. That's real love. He's, he's one who is going to say the hard things. Are you tracking with me? He's, he does not dumb down the truth in order to make love um, smushy and gentle. <laughs> he loves too well for that. So it says he sat down. He called the 12 over. In other words, what's that? Come sit down with me for a minute. Let's get some things corrected, sound mind. Let's correct your mind of the kingdom. And he said to them, this is another one where, you know, you may expect that they're about to be, they are about to be scolded. This is going to be a really harsh rebuke. But now follow with me. Watch what Jesus actually does. He sits down with them. And still in verse 35, he says, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. What did he do? Seriously, what did he do? He merely offers the kingdom way to think about what they're arguing about. Do you see it? Once again, we see the same pattern. He's fiercely committed to supply us with kingdom thinking, to replace worldly thinking. They have worldly thinking. You have to know they've just been out doing incredible, great ministry. There is a reason they're arguing about who's the greatest. It's because, excuse me, they were just out doing incredibly great things. They were healing the sick, casting out demons, doing all these kingdom things. There's a reason they're going, you know, they, they have great works to argue about. But I want you to notice that Jesus never, in this passage, he does not pick on the fact that they have a, a desire to be great. Now notice that with me. I think we look at this like, like the, evil, the evil thing going on here is that, is that they have a desire as a disciple of Jesus, as a son of God, as the royalty of his family. It's evil that they have a desire to want to be great, to want to do great kingdom things. And Jesus, you know, Jesus as their creator, I'm absolutely convinced that... Um, he does not take issue with their desire to be great, to participate in great kingdom things. And they are never rebuked for it. But what does he do? He says, I purposely made you to have a desire to want to be great, to want to participate in the glory of God in great things. But if you're going to get there, you're going to have to have correct thinking. In other words, you're going to have to have an accurate understanding of what greatness is in the kingdom. Are you catching it? He doesn't say it's wrong that you desire greatness. What he says is, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. In other words, it's right that you want to be great. Let me correct your definition of greatness. According to a kingdom definition of greatness. Are you seeing the pattern? Jesus is fiercely committed to bringing the disciples, you, to bringing his disciples into kingdom thinking so that they have the keys of the kingdom, so that we enjoy all the blessings of the kingdom, all the gifts, blessings, participation, everything his household offers. 
But that requires thinking according, according to that kingdom rather than a world kingdom. Love instead of fear. How does that connect into what we're going through right now? I think it absolutely does. Now, let me, I'm going to wrap with this and, and just pray for you. But let, let me tell you why that so powerfully wraps into what we're going through right now. Do you know there is nothing better in the world to expose um, the world thinking that we need Jesus to correct than crisis? Why is that? That's not just random. There's a reason for that. Listen to me. Crisis taps every insecurity, every anxiety, every fear that we have. If we have a spirit of fear, we have a spirit of anxiety, we have something that is, that is contrary or different than the security, than the love that we have in kingdom thinking, crisis will reveal it. In fact, you probably can note that in these stories we've been reading in their own sense. They are crises. Every time the Lord reveals that we are operating from a spirit of fear instead of power, love, and sound mind, corrected thinking to kingdom thinking, that is exactly what Jesus is doing with you. He is correcting thinking to kingdom thinking. We have... Uh, we have opportunity every day, whether we're in crisis, out of crisis, to, to be inviting, to be sensitive to the spirit that he is fiercely committed to, um, to us gaining the mind of Christ. Why? He loves you that much. That's the reason. He loves you that much. And world thinking believes we need to earn to get. We need to be scared about our provisions. Hoard toilet paper. Is that, is that a spirit of love or is, or is that operating from a spirit of fear? Is that world thinking or is that kingdom thinking? That one's pretty easy. Are you tracking with me? Um, world thinking says we need to perform well to have security. World thinking says we need to have and maintain stuff to be loved, whether that's material stuff or position, honor. Kingdom thinking is based in love instead of fear. And we have every opportunity during this time to let the Spirit of God, the Spirit we've been given to correct our mind to kingdom thinking, this is opportunity as a disciple to lean into the intimacy, to yield to Him. Because kingdom thinking believes that, um, believes that everything I have is the gift of God. I'm already secure because my security is in Him alone. I don't need anything more to be loved. Jesus gives me everything I need. There's no doubt in my mind that pressing into Jesus during this time um, is what God's calling us to. If you're anything like me, as you've been walking through this season, dealing with coronavirus, having new orders in our state to um, stay in place unless you're part of an, an exemption like this and all, all the things, the, the break in our routine. If you're anything like me, you have been encountering moments as you walk through your day where you're realizing that the thought that I just had is not kingdom thinking. My immediate inclination that I, that I just had is not kingdom thinking. 
and that I have a Savior who is, who is intimately um, loving me at every moment, bringing me into the mind of Christ. And so let's just conclude. I, I just want to pray for you um, to finish today. Um, Jesus, I want to thank you <laughs> that, um, that everything we've talked about today, this is you. <laughs> that um, you, are, you are the lover of our souls. You are our master. And we're your disciples. I, I, uh, I want to thank you for the privilege of being your disciple. And I pray for every listener, every, every person who's viewing right now, your disciples. I pray that this would be a season where, where powerfully um, they, would, they would be leaning into you and that you would grant the Spirit that in your grace, they would be taking every opportunity to wreck our thinking so that you have a blank place to build. Everywhere we have worldly thinking, Lord, we want to yield ourselves to lean into you. We want the discipleship we've been reading about this morning, Lord. We want to align uh, to the thinking that grants us freedom from the tyranny of the world, freedom from fear. We want sound mind, which means we have power. We have love and we trust you for this. I thank you that this prayer is being answered, that you are going out into hearts and that you are going to use this crisis time in the world, in the nation to make us into the church that thinks so much like you do, that we have no limitations, that you can grant all that we pray for because we are aligned to your thinking. In the authority of your name, Jesus, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.